Welcome to Light It Up, a podcast about resilient women balancing motherhood, their careers, personal lives, and all of the challenges that come along with being a superwoman. Each week, you'll be motivated to take action to lead, inspire, transform, and empower. Now, here's your host, Dr. Regina Mashira. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Light It Up. I want to thank you for taking time to tune in to the podcast. Today is what I like to call Transformation Tuesday. And with every episode, I like to make sure that I am sharing information that you can use. If you've tuned in to the previous episodes, you know for the last few weeks, I've been focused on education, particularly how Um, our parents and how our teachers are transitioning during the midst of this pandemic where we are sheltering in place and teachers have the responsibility of transitioning from the traditional setting of teaching to now teaching through e-learning online. And uh, my first guest from a couple of weeks ago were two single moms who are educators and they talked about the balancing act of balancing their career as well as trying to make sure that they are um, attentive to their own children and helping them as they transition to e-learning. And then I talked to three other educators who also talked about the leadership aspect in terms of how their leadership team was instrumental in making sure that the transition from traditional teaching to e-learning was um, as smooth as possible. Um, So I wanted to expand the conversation because anyone who knows me knows that I am an advocate for education and I am truly passionate about education, whether it's educating um, young children, young adults, or adults who have chosen to return to pursue another degree. Anything that's education related, I'm passionate about. Um, And as a parent and as an educator, um, you know, I've worked in the field, I've worked as a professor, I've worked as an administrator, and I've been in the field of education for well over 20 years. But as an educator and as a parent, I also understand the importance of having men in the classroom particularly for our children, for our black and brown children, the importance of having black men in the classroom. And so with today's episode, my guests are three young, innovative, energetic black men who are working in our schools in front of black and brown children. Um, I think that you are really going to enjoy these three young men, two of whom are actually biological brothers. So today my guests are Jean Muhammad, Jamil Muhammad, and Mikhail Muhammad. So I want you to tune in and listen to this really in-depth conversation that we're going to have about their experiences as educators and the reason why they are working in the field of education. So stay tuned. Um, I'm really excited about this episode of Light It Up because as you all know, typically when I have a guest on the podcast, it's a woman. But today we're gonna mix it up a little bit. I have three very distinguished young men 
who are all working in the field of education. Uh, my guests are Jean Muhammad, who is a Morehouse graduate and currently working on his MBA at National Lewis University. He's also a full-time PE teacher at East Chicago Urban Enterprise Academy. And then I have Jamil Muhammad, who just so happens to be related to Gene Muhammad. He is also a graduate of Morehouse College, and he is a, a middle school science teacher, um, also at East Chicago Urban Enterprise Academy. And last but not least is Mikhail Muhammad, who is a recent graduate of Kentucky State University with a bachelor's degree in history and a minor in business administration. And Mikhail currently teaches world history at Urban Prep Bronzeville campus here in Chicago. So I wanna thank you all for joining me, welcome. So we'll get started. Um, first, I'd like to know if, if you all, you know, I gave a brief introduction and shared your background um, with the listeners. But Jean, let's start with you. If you could give us a little bit more about your background. I see you're a Morehouse graduate and alum. If you could just share your background with, with the audience, please. So I graduated. So my name is Eugene Muhammad. I graduated in uh, 2018 from Morehouse College. Uh, best experience. My best college experience I've had. I've been at three colleges. And um, I didn't intend on going into education, especially at the elementary and middle school level, but it just kind of happened. Mm -hmm. And um, as soon as I graduated, I got an opportunity, so I took it. And um, I'm pretty much an MBA student. I am a, uh, an entrepreneur. I'm working on that, building a foundation for some things I got going. So it's pretty much it, briefly, about me. Okay. All right, thank you. Um, Jamil, you can share with us. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Jamil Muhammad. My background consists of, um, I studied biology at Morehouse College um, and I graduated in 2019. Um, my interests definitely consist of um, primarily education, just because I, I feel as though that inner child, like that little, in, that curiosity that keeps the mind wondering, it's never really died. So education has always been my, my, um, it's been what's drawing me. Mm -hmm. um, I do enjoy fitness, nutrition, um, and also content creation. So all throughout college, um, high school, that's what I've been doing, uh, working on exercise science. Um, and in the near future, God willing, I'll be pursuing some more graduate studies in exercise science and physiology so that I can continue and really just enhance my knowledge so that I can give it back to the, my community because that's what I'm here for. So all my life, I already knew I wanted to be a teacher. I always, I always knew I wanted to be in somebody's classroom mm -hmm. and now I have my own classroom. Perfect, all right, thank you. Mikhail, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah. So I, me, like the other brother that I was just talking before, uh, 
before the last person I went, we I went to Kentucky State University. Um, and Kentucky State University was my third college as well. And it was also my best experience. Um, I pledged Omega Psi Phi at Kentucky State University. All my life, I've been really intrigued with history. History is just something that I've been attached to ever since I went to Muhammad University of Islam here in Chicago. Um, it just kind of gave me that that basis of wanting to do for self and know for self. Um, you know, I just feel like, you know, us as black people, we just had that fundamental self-knowledge. We'll be in a much better predicament that we are in now. And so um, that's why I just went on ahead and got my undergrad degree in uh, history. And then shortly, I, I finished all of my classes in December and I was supposed to walk in May. But right after I finished all of my classes, um, I was able to be blessed with the opportunity to teach at Urban Prep uh, Bronzeville campus. And really it's just been an amazing experience, something that I will cherish for the rest of my life because I, like the other brother, wanted to teach my whole life. Um, but I also plan on getting into other investments and to become an entrepreneur myself, but also teach at the same time. You know, so, um, I went to three colleges, graduated, um, stayed on my grades, and here I am now teaching high schoolers, you know, just blessed, for real. Okay. So, and that's interesting because all of you, you know, kind of touched upon the fact that you went to other institutions before landing um, at an HBC. Can you kind of talk about, you know, just to help me get an idea, I never attended an HBCU, had aspirations. Um, what made you all decide to attend a historically black college? And particularly for Jean, you both ended up at the same institution. So what was, uh, what was the driving force behind you all attending an HBCU? And Jean, you could go ahead and start. So, so it definitely was not planned. I spend my time, I love argumentation and debate, and I love uh, wisdom and knowledge and studying just in general, in all things. And growing up, me and my father and my brother, we would just have these long drawn out conversations and debates, just like playing with different ideologies and ideas and things like that. Then I heard that, well, my father actually would tell me about his matriculation through Morehouse. And I liked it. And, you know, he, he said he met some of the most intelligent people on the planet. So I wanted that experience. So I decided to enroll. So, and it worked out. Mm -hmm. um, I started off at a community college and then I transferred. So I knew I needed a four year degree, bachelor's degree. So I went for business management and um, I found what I was looking for. I met, I joined a debate team. My uh, Jamil Muhammad, you know, who's on here was my partner. We were called the Muhammad brothers. <laughs> so that was pretty fun. And they really did take my, my um, critical thinking and just being critical in general to the next level. Um, analytical skills, how to verify if things are true or not. Uh, you know, uh, thinking on both sides to find the truth in um certain situations or, or resolutions and things like that. So that was pretty fun. But I went just because I was interested 
and becoming more intelligent and smart. <laughs> that always fascinated me. And I found that. And we also got more from that experience. You know, we were we started a couple clubs on campus and things like that. So it was just a great experience, a very empowering experience. So it's pretty much that's pretty much how I ended up there. Okay. And then Jamil, what about you? How do you did you just decide to follow in your father and your brother's footsteps? For the most part, um, my brother and I have been on the same page. We, are, we both went to the same high school. Um, my first year of college was at a community college and it was at the same college as in Jean. Mm -hmm. So I think it was probably one of the times when Eugene and my dad and myself, we were probably having a conversation and I, we saw a video. It was like a slight little promotional video for Morehouse College. Um, I think it was called For Whom the Bell Tolls. I think it's still on YouTube. But the image and what was presented was really fascinating and it stimulated something in my mind, like a curiosity saying, uh, what does it take to create a man like that, which we saw in the video? And my dad never really sold us on going to Morehouse. Like he never really pushed the idea. He just, he just let it be. So, at a point, we were just like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna apply. So we applied and to be honest, it was the only school, the only um, four year institution that I applied to. And it, it's crazy that I, now I'm thinking about it. Um, Cause I just had my mindset on Morehouse. So I knew that there was more to what was in the mind of black men. And I would just be in an institution to learn about how diverse, not only, um, the black race, how diverse that is, but um, how diverse our perspectives are in the way that we approach um, education, the world, entrepreneurship. I know that I would, well, I knew that I would have um, a beautiful experience with that. And I knew that <laughs> intellectually, uh, we have some heavy hitters as well, such as everyone reveres Dr. Martin Luther King. And um, I knew that the knowledge would be really dense in that institution. And to be honest, the institution that molds you is extremely important. Some people say that, oh, the undergrad isn't that important. But in your early late teens, early 20s, it's very important to mold yourself and keep yourself in an environment that will enrich you. And that's exactly what we, what we experienced, plus some. Like our experience on the debate team was unlike any other experience that I've had in my life in terms of having so many black men um, just having mental jobs. And then even my capstone for my, um, my senior seminar for my biology major, it was literally the most, literally the most enriching and challenging experience I've experienced thus far. And I knew that I would get exactly what I wished for and the more. So that's what it was. Okay. All right, and Mikael. Where did you start off before you um, transferred to Kentucky State? My, third, my first college was Lake Forest College, and I went there originally to play basketball. Um, and it really wasn't the best place for me. Um, I ended up tearing my shoulder out of place my senior year in high school. But as I tried to 
matriculate through that off season and then start my freshman season in college, I still had shoulder issues and ended up having to have surgery for it. So, you know, being at that type of institution, was which, which was a PWI, was not the best fit. And I really don't feel like it's the best fit for black people, but especially, uh, you know, young black males, 18, coming from Chicago and then going into an institution to where, you know, even though I went to University of Chicago lab, I graduated from there, I still live in Roseland. So that was still a community that was, you know, mostly black, you know, in a, in a sense, some call it the hood. But, um, you know, coming into that environment, kind of, I kind of lost my way. And then I ended up transferring to uh, Russ College. And then Russ College really wasn't the place for me. So I just kind of went real heavy on my grades. And then I ended up transferring to Kentucky State. And after I went to Kentucky State, you know, that was that was all she wrote. That was the best institution for me. I was a part of the SGA. Um, I got to pledge there. Um, you know, it, it was just a real beautiful experience. And it actually, the staff at Kentucky State pushed me to go into the role of being a teacher. So I have to thank a lot of them for giving me that guidance. Um, you know, I was able to teach some classes at Kentucky State for African American history and things of those nature, things things of that nature. So um, I would just say that being at an HBCU for uh, any black person is beneficial. Um, you know, it, no, not a knock to people that went to PWI, but you just don't get that that same cultural benefit when you go to an HBCU. I learned a lot of professionalism coming from an HBCU, um, and so. You know, that's that's my story. And I think I think what's important to note, you know, it's no secret here. All of us we have the same last name of Muhammad. Only two of us are related on this, on this episode. But I think what's key is that all of us, um, I know we were all born and raised as Muslims, so I didn't convert to Islam. I, you know, um, but so we already have the foundation anyway of having the knowledge of ourself, um, which I think is very important. But, you know, just thinking about that, going into um, an experience of being at an HBCU and you already have that critical foundation that most people don't have, you know, some people when they go to an HBCU, that's when they find themselves and they find their blackness. Um, but I think it's safe to assume that you all went there and you already knew who you were. So you didn't have that hurdle that you needed to try to get over. So you were already at, it, at an advantage, um, so to speak. Um, could you um, kind of touch upon, um, and Jean, I'll go ahead and, and start back with you. In terms of your, um, your high school experience, and even at the community college level, did you have any black teachers? What was that experience? So you said in high school? In high school or even when you were at the community college. Okay, so my teachers in high school, I went to the Chicago High School for Agricultural Sciences mm -hmm. in Mount Greenwood. Yeah. Um, very unique experience and um, <laughs> a lot of good and a lot of bad. but. Um, I had, I, they were predominantly white. 
you're European or things like I didn't really I didn't have I think I saw maybe one black teacher there but they were mostly white and then for community college I went to Triton College for about three years before I transferred to Morehouse and um, I think I maybe had a few Hispanic teachers but they were mostly white as well um, <laughs> the only black teacher I had was probably my dad I took his <laughs> philosophy class that was about it did she get an A <laughs> oh yeah of course I, I had to be top of the class like I had to get everything right. right I could not respond to discussions and things like that you know I had to do everything perfect because it just that would be a bad look right but but yeah and then uh I pretty much I didn't get a lot of African African-American and even African or just black teachers until I went to an HBCU mm -hmm. to get that kind of perspective we didn't only have black teachers like we had women um, who were not who were non-black? Some I, I had a one. Um, my human resources teacher was uh, Arab, mm -hmm. so but I had mostly black male teachers though. Okay, okay. And Mikael, was that a similar experience for you at Kentucky State in terms of you had more um, professors of color? Oh yeah, uh, the head of the history department is uh, a, a black woman actually. Her name is Dr. Gillian. Um, and pretty much everybody, I, I would say about 70% of the staff was black. So, you know, it was, it was pretty, it was pretty decent in terms of that, of that demographic. But when I was that lab, no, it was mm -hmm. one black teacher mm -hmm. and it was two black counselors. Yeah. And I remember that. the rest were security guards. And I was kind of shocked before we actually got started. So I have, I actually have three children. I have a set of twins who are sophomores getting ready to enter into their junior year of high school. And my youngest is in seventh grade. And we live in an area, so we're in the south suburbs of um, Chicago, but we're in the Homewood Flossmore School District. And once I moved to this district, my 15 year olds. My daughter has only had one black teacher, which she just had um, last semester, and that was for a business class. My son hasn't had any black teachers. And fortunately, um, though, my youngest has had so far a black teacher every year since fifth grade. But because of their experience, because we went from, um, living in Madison, where they had um, more black teachers um, to a, a school district where they didn't have any, they were able to um, point out the changes in terms of treatment and how Caucasian students were treated compared to black students. And we started having the conversation probably in six that applied to, uh, they were going to apply to HBCUs versus a PWI um, simply because I wanted them to have, for starters, I wanted them to have the experience that I didn't have um, because all of my education, undergrad, graduate school, my doctorate, that's all been at PWIs just because of how things panned out. Um, but I wanted them to be, I want them to be able to have um, a different type of experience. So 
Jamil, could you um, kind of talk about, um, in terms of your experience at Morehouse, what advice would you give to um, particularly, we'll talk about young black men because I, I want that to be um, my focus for today. What, would, what advice would you give to a young black man who is in high school, who's thinking about you know, pursuing um, higher education and looking at colleges and universities? How would you convince him to consider an HBCU? Yeah, I would, I would begin with um, actually having a physical experience there. I know at Morehouse, um, they have programs where you can actually go in and, and room with some current students. So to actually go there and be immersed in that environment is one of the most important and um, Definitely one of the most important things that you can do, especially when considering um, your inst the institution that you want to attend or that you might be considering. So I would say try it, meaning you go and experience some of their, um, some of the culture in the institution before you say, I don't want to go there because I just don't like it. Mm -hmm. And I've noticed a lot of, a lot of um, young people say that. They say, oh, I don't like it. I'm like, well, what do you know about it? Um, I don't know, I just heard some things. It's like those people have their own experiences, so you should have your own. And before you deny it or knock it, I think you should go and actually be in that environment. And then tell me how you feel, because now it's, it's informed. So I would say, go in, um, stay there for a few days. I think they have weekend programs, um, typically in the spring. So you go there, experience it, go talk to some department chairs, if they were like science, if they were interested in science, I would definitely tell them to go see Dr. Handy. I would, if I was able to, I would even try to um, put them in the face of different professors because everyone is different. They have their own pedagogy and approach to education. So I would probably kind of bias, but I don't care. I really would just take them to the most interesting minds that I've experienced at Morehouse. That's how I would convince them because if you, if you're if you're in the the in in the space of another black man or a, a black woman or anybody that just has your best interest as a black person that's definitely going to be different from somebody at an institution that's just they just have prestige and that's it it's different when you have prestige and you have interest in that person and it's going to be kind of synergistic with respect to the the decision that they make so that's the way that I would try to convince them. If I had the means to make sure that they can go experience, have conversations, you can see people, even on, on Brown Street at Morehouse College, they, people, we always stop, have conversations, it's self-love, and to see that and experience that is much different from actually just hearing about it. Okay, well, I'm gonna recruit you all um, for the fall, because I gotta schedule some more uh, school visits for mine. Um, and so I want to now try to dive into just your experience um, as educators. I know, Gene, you mentioned that the opportunity kind of presented itself for you to be able to go enter into the teaching profession 
and um, Jamil and Mikkel, you all kind of always knew that you wanted to be teachers. Um, as you all probably know, um, black male teachers make up 2% of the teaching population. Okay. And it seems like, um, you know, we're having, as far as the university level with our teacher preparation programs, um, it doesn't seem like we're able to recruit as many young black men to enter into, um, to enter into the profession. Do you have um, any insight um, that you could share with ways in which we can get more young black men to be interested in selecting teaching um, as a profession of choice? And Mikkel, I'll start with you. Um, I mean, I get to start out by saying, one, it, it has to be a passion of yours. Um, you just can't go into teaching uh, because of the pay. Um, you can't go into teaching because you think it's something you want to do. I feel like you just have to have a, a passion to really want to help and see young men and young women grow. Um, on my end, it's just I, I teach at an all-boys school. So my passion is literally seeing the, the next generation um, become greats and have self-knowledge and just have the ability to think and critically think on their own about society and white supremacy and all of these different things. So I just feel like um, as black men, it's time for us to just start wanting to help as much as we can, because I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't know that's that, that 2%, mm -hmm. um, we make up 2% of teachers in the United States. That's, that's a wild statistic. So uh, just from me being in a classroom, actually teaching my student, students and seeing the effect that I have on them is enough for me to do this for a very long time. And for people that's trying, or people that aren't really leaning towards it, um, you know, like I said, I just feel like you have to have that type of passion. But it, again, that passion comes when you have self-knowledge because once you understand society and what we're going through and how it's been planned for us to go to, through this specific obstacle, then you will want to help as much as you can. So if you don't have that self-knowledge, you're really not going to want to help as much as you can. You're going to go after your own, uh, uh, your own goals, you know, and not saying that that's a bad thing, but, you know, teaching and giving guidance to our, our youth is very important because they need it. You know, they're in dire need of our help. So I would just say that once you get that self-knowledge, then, it's, I feel like it's just going to automatically kick in that you want to help the youth, you know? That's, that's just did, you, did you know, did you have your mind set out um, to teach at an all boys school or was it just, you know, there was an opportunity, a position available and you applied? What, what was your, your goal when you graduated and, and went into teaching or was looking for a teaching position? Um, yeah, I mean, it was uh, some some positions were through word of mouth and some positions are online. Like a lot of people don't know if you just go on on the internet and just search, you know, search up different schools, they have positions open. You know, everybody's trying to get them a teacher. I don't, I don't know about right now during COVID-19, 
mm-hmm. uh, while all these things are going on, but everybody's trying to get them a teacher. And um, yeah, I, I knew that it was something, I really was just looking for a job to be honest. But once I saw that it was teaching available, I was, you know, that's just something I've been wanting to do. I, I've been, you know, I really love black history. Like I'm a nerd, super nerd when it comes to black history. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I just really wanted to help as much as I could. And this is a great way to help. And so I just was really doing a lot of research, applying for job after job. And then, you know, God has blessed me with the opportunity. It's, mm-hmm. I, I only got accepted for teaching jobs. Everything else, I, you know, I got denied for. It. Wow. So that, that showed me right there. Right. That it was meant for you to work in this field and to be an educator. That's great. Um, Jamil, you are teaching science, middle middle school science. Was that something that you set out? Did you know that you want to teach middle school? Did you have a preference for high school? Because you could go either route potentially with middle grades or or secondary. At first, I definitely knew I wanted to teach youth because um, in the past I've done, or currently, always done after-school programs, uh, summer programs, just different enrichment programs with children. And I knew that I love science and mathematics. So I was planning on going for uh, the high school, high school students. Um, but it just so happened that Eugene had been um, hired at East Chicago Urban Enterprise Academy. And then I actually started out as a sub. Um, so I was subbing for about half a year. And then the position just opened up. I knew I wanted to teach science for sure. And it literally just opened up. And I'm just like, I know there are no coincidences. So I think this is going to be my starting point. And I was just really grateful. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't know it was going to happen like that. Mm-hmm. So I just got my first year experience and it's been pretty, pretty enriching and educating so far. Okay. So Gene, um, it's safe to say you're the oldest <laughs> and it seems like you're always looking out for your younger brother. I don't know what the age difference is between the two of you. Two years. Two years. Okay. So, um, you're teaching PE. Do you incorporate the health and nutrition into, do you have that flexibility to, to do that with your students? So I've been blessed to have, they really give me the autonomy to do what it is I want to do in my class. Anything progressive I'm able to implement. Um, I show them videos, motivational videos, health videos, different food, um, lifestyle that they could incorporate into their lives i teach them about intermittent fasting so um i try to incorporate a lot of technology um during the gym class and things like that so yeah we pretty much do a whole lot and i also talk to them a whole lot Mm -hmm. like sometimes i'll use about 15 minutes of their gym time which is an hour they're blessed for that right there anyways (laughs) but uh I'll talk to them about various topics that might be affecting their lives. A lot of them have bad attitudes, you know, so we talk about attitude, we talk about their mindsets, you know, we just talk about different things, you know, so a range of different things that might be affecting them. Sometimes I'll just let them tell me what's going on. Mm -hmm. 
and we'll have a conversation about it. So nobody's talking to them. So I let them talk and I challenge a lot of the things that they think, mm-hmm. you know, because um, that's needed. Is this, um, this, is this a charter school? Yes. Okay. And it's uh, K through eight or is it uh, one of those schools where it goes up to? It's K through eight. K through eight. Okay. That's great. I think, you know, so many people have their opinions and their views about charter schools, but the one thing that I can say is that you do have that autonomy to be able to try different approaches, you know, to education versus when you're in a public school setting where they're consistently pushing, um, preparing students for a test, for a standardized test, or the focus is always on test scores. Um, And then there are all of the other issues that go along with that. So I think that's great that you all are in a position, um, whereas you're able to exercise some autonomy. Go ahead. Can I, so it might, I would attribute that having that autonomy to be creative within the learning space to the leadership. We have great leadership. The principal is very progressive. She is constantly implementing ways to empower the teacher to deliver the teaching uh, or the curriculum in a very creative way that, that uh, uh, grabs the attention of the students. You know, it may try to make it fun. So we do a lot of those things, but it's, it's the leadership. <laughs> yeah. Good. And what's the demographics um, of this school? It's uh, Latino and uh, Black, and uh, some of them are mixed. Mm-hmm. I don't think there are any. I don't think there are any Caucasian kids. They they're mixed. A lot of them they they might have a Caucasian parent or something mm-hmm. like that, but most of them are not minority minority demographic. Okay. And then in terms of the demographics of the teaching staff. Are you all the only two black men in the building, or are there other black men in the building? Are there other male teachers in the building? So I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Jamil comment after this, but because I was there first, so I saw an all women staff, and they're they're mostly we have a that's very diverse because we have some European women whom are teachers, and we have. Uh, a few black women, my teachers, and it was probably me, the dean, and the security guard. We were the only men, like men in general, in the entire school. But this year, we have a, I think uh, most of the mod is uh, male, African-American male. A couple of them are our ages, so. Okay, good. And then, were you gonna, uh, did you have anything to add, Jamil? Yes, it was, it, it's really, I think it's important to note that this year specifically um, in, this, in the uh, middle school, the sixth grade math and science teacher, he's a black man. And the uh, seventh, eighth grade math teacher is a black man as well. So we have majority black staff in middle school and um it's really i think it's important just to see like some of my eighth graders they saw the black sixth grade and seventh grade teachers and they were thinking 
man, this is this is this is a really cool experience. And they told me when they were younger, they're like, uh, Mr. Muhammad, I never really had uh, any black teachers, and it's just good that you all are here. And they just thanked us for being there. Um, and for me, I think it's really amazing that I, the year that I start, you also have two more black men doing the same thing that that, that I want to do. Right, right. That's awesome. And Mikhail, I know um, with Urban Prep, I think the demographics, demographics. The majority black teaching staff or? Oh, yeah. Urban Prep does a good job of hiring, you know, their own. Um, I don't think we have, I don't know, we don't have a white teacher at my campus, at least. I don't know about the other campuses, but I know my campus. Our staff is is fully black. Um, we have uh, a lady of Asian descent there. Uh, that's about it, um, and it's about fifty fifty with men and women, so mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty good in that retrospect. Okay, so let me ask so you, let me ask you because both of because you, both of um, Mikael and Eugene, you are, um, no, Mikael and Jamil. I'm sorry, you all are essentially. In your first year of teaching, Mikhail, you just began teaching in December, January, right after um, you completed your degree at Kentucky State. Um, what has, I know this has been just an interesting first year or first semester for you, Mikhail, in particular, because you were probably in the classroom all of what, two months, January to first week or second week in March? And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then you had to transition to e-learning due to COVID-19. So how has that, as a first-year teacher, how has that transition been? Because a first-year of teaching typically is the hardest anyway because you're embarking upon new territory. So can you right. just talk about how you were able to transition, how that's been going for you? Um, well, when I first got there, it was tough. Um, you know, you're dealing with inner city kids, you know, urban prep, uh, gets kids within the inner city. So, you know, of course they tried me in the beginning, they tried me for a little bit and I ultimately won, you know, um, just the, and then right when I got into really, 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 really enjoying being in the classroom, that's when COVID-19 kicked in and, um, the saddest thing for me with with all of this is that a lot of the students, not just in Chicago, but worldwide, are kind of taking a huge toll on their education. This 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 particular disease or virus is taking a huge toll on their education. And um, I know for young black men and women that education isn't, um, we don't have the same amount of resources as our, our, our white peers or Asian Asian Americans as well. Um, so I just look at this as kind of like, this is a bit detrimental. Um, and it's, and the best that I can do is just give as much work as I can to help them learn about what I was teaching was just, which was predominantly about white supremacy and how things are ran um, and trying to get them a sense of self you know, teaching them about African ancestry, about our African ancestry um, and things of that nature. But the change has been shaky. I've been trying to do my best with it. 
you know, I, I'm getting a workout there today. I just actually had uh, a virtual class today and we did Kahoot and the students seemed to enjoy it, you know, and they got to learn a little bit as much as they can. But what I look at this is just, it's kind of detrimental to, you know, them learning in, in an actual school environment. And, and online is just a little difficult. Even when I was doing college classes online, you know, I wasn't really, they weren't, it wasn't really interesting like that. So that's that's just what I'm dealing with. It's easy to give them work. It's easy to, you know, contact them and talk to them. But it's just the fact that I know that they're not getting the best that, the, the best, they're not going to be able to get the best form of education at all through through this e-learn. Mm -hmm. From, and I just feel like that's nationwide. But I'm really just focused on the, part, the fact that black people, I'm, I'm just really worried about us for real to be honest yeah you know and uh jamil how have you how has this uh transition i guess been for you like most of the educators that i know it has been pretty challenging um especially getting students to respond because a lot of them do have limited resources um some of them are only able to to access internet at night or just at very um inconvenient times so i've been pretty lenient on my part um I'm, i don't find it to be uh, i don't find it necessary to be too rigorous especially at this time um so it's been difficult because you also have not only the lack of resources, but you also have uh, the mental health to take into consideration of the students and of the parents. A lot of them are out of work. A lot of them are in need of emotional support. And if you are a, a, a teacher or, in, or just anybody that the students can reach out to, if they have limited resources and they feel as though they can trust you, but there's a disconnect trying to reach you, that can uh, negatively affect them as well. So it's, I really want it to end because the way that it has impacted us so far um, has allowed us to, to understand people's situations firsthand. And um, I mean, it, it just helps me to become grateful for the time that I had in the classroom because it was pretty challenging uh, as a first year teacher because they will, like Brother Mikhail said, they will try you. And they've been trying me for a very long time and I did not fold. So um, it's, it, it really just made me grateful for the time that I did have in the classroom where I can speak to them as a group rather than reaching to them individually and not really feeling that connect, that human connection. Because when you're right next to them, you in the classroom experience and you're in front of them and you have their attention it's a different energy reception rather than we're just on the internet talking. I just, I'm just another guy on YouTube uh, talking to them. So it's been very difficult. Mm -hmm. I would say. And then Eugene, you, because you're in a unique situation as a PE teacher. I know my daughter's PE teacher sends assignments and, um, has some expectations. Well, how have you been able to um, transition and work with your students? Well, like Jamil, 
it's not rigorous at all. I've given them a couple of assignments. Um, I have a Zoom meeting with them about once a week. Today I had another one. I had two this week, actually. Um, not many of them showed up because this one was not required. So okay. they show up for the ones that's required. Um, I spent a lot of time just like trying to find resources for next year. Like I did a donor's choose to get this big speaker. It's very expensive for the gym class because I use this app. And um, so I did that. I applied, I filled out this application for uh, an entire gym renovation. So I hope we get that. I haven't heard anything, <laughs> but I, I did that. Um, I just, I find creative ways to just like stay in contact with them and things like that. I uh, set up a separate classroom for debate. I actually started, me and my brother started a debate program and we just tried to continue that at uh, East Chicago, but COVID hit. We had only had one Saturday together and then before it hit. So I was trying, I've been trying to do that, but um, the school year is almost over. So uh, I think that the best thing about this experience is uh, we can learn from it. Mm -hmm. um, we need to uh, maybe uh, figure out e-learning and uh, figure out how to, do, how to use that effectively because it's being used on the college level already. So I feel like it's more so it's just a learning experience. So all we can do is learn from this experience. So if it happens again, we'll know how to um, uh, you know, carry it out next time. So. Yeah, and, and, and speaking of that, just in the way that universities prepare educators, I mean, we prepare you all to be teachers in the traditional sense in terms of teaching face-to-face. So it also speaks to the fact that um, from an inst higher ed institutional perspective that we need to be more innovative in order to help prepare our future teachers for situations like this. I mean, I don't think that we can ever say that we're going to go back to normal um, because you know, they're already talking about um, that there's gonna be another surge of this. You know, we've got to think about the fall semester, even in uh, California, um, the California university system has already decided that there will not be in-person instruction uh, for the entire state. And there are some school districts here in the state of Illinois, I'm not sure about Indiana, but I know they are looking at what are they gonna do for the fall in August and, and September. And some school districts have already decided that they're gonna try to continue with e-learning, which should be very interesting because, you know, this was all an emergency, you know what I mean? So no one was prepared for this and some school districts are, are going through this better than others. Um, it also speaks to the digital divide and the lack of resources, particularly that we have in our community. Um, so there are so many different things that we have to look at and, and to consider. Um, do you all have any ideas just from your own experience? And you all seem to be innovative folks. You have any suggestions or ideas on how teacher preparation programs at the university level can um, begin to prepare uh, future teachers for situations such as this where they won't 
be, you know, teaching in the traditional sense of face-to-face and how to be able to better um, transition in times of crisis in order to adapt um, their teaching methods and teaching styles at a short moment notice. I'll, I'll start off. Um, I would say, um, if you're, so so the question is, if it's a teacher coming into the situation, um, or is it somebody that's already been in this situation and now is teaching? Um, so for for my institution, for example, we prepare you know individuals who major in teacher education when we're preparing them. Um, to graduate and become licensed teachers, we're preparing them in the traditional model in terms of how to educate. There, there is not a class that any of our May 2020 graduates took on how to facilitate e-learning or how to be creative in that space in terms of online learning. Um, so I'm just wondering, do you all have any ideas or suggestions on what the institutions can do to better prepare future teachers? Because I don't think that this is a situation that, um, you know, there may be other situations that occur like this, but we've got to find ways to be able to better prepare teachers to be able to adapt to this. Well, I, I, I do feel like this particular time is going to change the way we teach for like generations to come for real because it has forced us to adapt to an online way of doing things. Um, and so to kind of prepare teachers for it is to make sure that if you're going into this, stay professional, um, you know, make sure that you are uh, highly engaged with the kids, you know, calling them, checking on them, seeing how they doing, um, you know, making sure that they have what they need for the work, being patient, because I know when I was in the classroom, some students would try to finesse work. And so now I can't, I can't peep if they are, or I really can't judge, you know, what's going on with their, in, in their particular situation, because I really don't know, you know. And so I think that a teacher really, if you're going into this uh, during this e-learning process, you have to be patient. You have to be able to kind of build some accountability because it's a different type of accountability, you know, when they don't do the work and, you know, you give them a zero. Now, if they don't do the work, it's kind of like, okay, well, just try to get as much as, um, as much of it as you can done and do the best that you can because you can't really teach how you want to because you can't like like my brother said you, you it's not that energy you don't have that same energy when you're in the classroom so you know just patience patience is the key it's it's, it's really you know I'm gonna let anybody else somebody else speak but you you really can't prepare somebody for this situation because it's so new and so the best thing to do is just to be patient because they change, they change the rules and change the engagement, you know, almost every, if not every week, every other week. So yeah, just patience is the key. Okay. 
I would like to add something too. Okay. Um, I think with respect to higher education, I think that this, the whole COVID situation and us being away from the, the traditional classroom environment um, is just showing us that there should be a shift to normalize online education. And we do have a number of professors that have full classrooms online. You have 100% online degrees or hybrid courses. So I, I think higher education institutions should go ahead and basically gather all of the, the instructors that already do online teaching and create some sort of system or um, kind of like a training so that they can develop their own or study pedagogy and the way we put, uh, basically how we approach education in an online space because I think it's something like this is inevitable, meaning us having to teach from a distance is that's something that is just gonna ha have to happen anyway, especially as the technology changes and some people don't really feel the need to, uh, to be face-to-face -face when they can't be online. So I think it's just important that we adapt and kind of veer from tradition um, and have the capacity to, to be versatile. So if I need to teach and speak in person that I can do that, but if I have to switch, and do my, my, my e-learning, then I can do that as well. And not just do it, but still uh, figure out how, how, to, how to enrich the students. Like sometimes, like Brother Mikhail said, we're not gonna be able to, to, to catch them up if they if they um, plagiarizing, cheating or whatever, but we can figure out a way to, to do the best that we can. So I think we should develop some sort of system or training to make sure that everyone is well equipped to be able to teach online, just have those skills. Okay. Okay. So can I respond really quickly to that? All right. So when it comes to preparing teachers, like, like they are, like my two brothers were talking about, um, you have to have patience and uh, I think we should focus on the logistics of how it's going to be carried out. So we need to look at what's being done. So what's being done, we can see is um, being done on the college level. So, the leadership at our school, the principal and assistant principal already knew that in order to prepare these kids for adulthood and even high school and college, um, we would have to implement some form of e-learning to get them used to that. So one thing is um, finding ways to get these children who don't have laptops, laptops, or some form of source to get on the internet to actually do this work. That's like the first step. That's what we've been working on um, at our school personally. and. Um, we need to look at what's being done. I know that uh, some teachers do say, you know, um, even at, at our school, they concerned about like cheating and things like that. But in my master's in online, uh, in my master's online program, you can ask questions or create a curriculum where they can't cheat. I rarely have quizzes, but they will ask questions and tailor the questions in a way where you have to think. They're not simple yes, no. You, you're, you're required to write a, a certain number of uh, words, you're required to cite, those kinds of things. So I think that, 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 that uh, they should just basically focus on what's being done. Try to mock that to a certain extent and then tailor it mm -hmm. to your students mm -hmm. and their, their skill level and grade level and things like that, so. Okay. 
Um, so I want to uh, kind of, I know I've enjoyed the conversation. I, I want to kind of touch upon, I know Jean, you mentioned that one of the reasons why you're, you all are able to have autonomy with your students in your classroom is because of the leadership. So I know leadership definitely matters in terms of any profession that you're, that you're in. When you have a great leader, then you're gonna want to do well and go that extra mile and you're gonna be empowered, you know, to feel good about uh, the field that you're in. As far as your students are concerned, and I think you all also kind of touched on this, the fact that you all have um, more black male teachers, how receptive have the students been to seeing black men in the building? And do you think that has made a difference for your students? And I see you're excited and you want to jump in, Jamil, so I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> so my, when I started teaching as a sub, um, the students saw me as the sub. They didn't see me as somebody that was committed to their education and trying to enrich their lives. So it was a kind of, it was pretty challenging uh, transitioning over to becoming the official science teacher. So. I've been blessed to have um, experiences such as the, t the parents will come to me and let me know. My student really appreciates science. They appreciate you trying to get them excited about thinking about them being black or people of color. They're excited about you just being here and giving them a different experience and listening, trying to be understanding and empathetic. Um, so it's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, and then another thing, the young ladies, I know that they don't have good experiences, or a lot of them don't have good experiences with black men. So at first they were really resistant and they were kind of uh, skeptical, like, oh, okay, well, when are you gonna quit? When are you gonna um, move on to your next job? And I told them, I'm like, look, Miss Muhammad isn't going anywhere. So in one way or another, if I gotta do a program, whatever, I'm still gonna be here regardless. So y'all are going to see my face, you're going to see me, and you're going to see me put in the same amount of energy, if not more, as the years go on. So um, a lot of them, as a result, they've opened up and shared experiences with me. They, a lot of students, um, they're, they got more comfortable with me. And then you still had the, the few that are um, pretty uh, still resistant, you know, just got their guard up, but I'm going to just work on being consistent and being there. But just those few experiences, the, the parents, if the parents come to you and say, look, I really appreciate you being here for my, for my, for my kid, for my student, or my child. So that, it just hits different. Like I was literally at one of their basketball games and one of the parents just came up to me. I've never seen him in my life. They were like, look, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you and your brother are doing. Because they know we're brothers. Mm -hmm. So they're like, thank you for what you're doing. We really appreciate it. And that just... That feels better than a lot of other things that I experienced in my life. Yeah. Mikhail, what about you? Because you're, um, you're in an environment where it's all young Black men, um, all boys school. What do you see um, that your students appreciate and value you? I know it's sort of different because it's a 50-50 
you know, split in terms of the teaching staff, men and women, but how has that experience been in terms of your students? Do they seem to value and appreciate um, you being there? Yeah, I, I, I truly believe that they do. Um, it's a few things that I believe that they pick up on. Um, you know, especially being from Chicago, you know, I, I wasn't like, like I'm, I'm 22. Uh, I'll be 23 next week. And so they know that I'm not that far in age from them. And so just having that relatability, um, I feel like I'm an example to them because I've, I've expressed that I'm, you know, the age that I am because, you know, we've had to have a heart to heart because a lot of these young men are damaged from society. And so, you know, us having a heart to heart, they realize that, you know, I can achieve this level right here in professionalism because I see this individual in front of me that's teaching me that's not that far in age from me. And he comes from the same situation. Before I graduated from uh, uh, University of Chicago Lab, I attended Hales Franciscan. And that's uh, that was like one of the first all boys schools in Chicago for, for young black men. So I kind of had the same experience as them, you know, all the way through. And so I just feel like when they see a, a, a black man that's teaching them and that loves them, like my brother was talking about, they don't have a good experience with black men. You know, it's, it's sad to say, but, you know, 76% of our low-income families don't have fathers. In them. And so, you know, when you don't have that, that figure in your life and that figure is not consistent in your life, you're going to think the individual in front of you is not going to be consistent. And so I've had to have the same speech, you know, Mr. Muhammad here until the year is over. So, you know, we all in this together, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? And so when you show that love, that consistency, you know, you become an example. And when you share the same experience and you, be, and you can relate to their circumstances, you're able to touch so many students that, you know, it just becomes a situation to where they just, they just, they just love you. You know, because you are that example, because a lot of the times we only we only see our, the success that we see from black people is that that rap or, you know, uh, play some type of sports. And so you don't really see on TV black men that are doctors, lawyers. You know, we got to see Barack Obama. But, you know, that was a that was a very rare occasion, you know. And so. um just being that example for them helps to mold them because I, I was, I was um, looking at this video from, from, I think his name was brother Ben X. This was about three years ago. And he kind of put it into perspective saying that, you know, when you take a picture of a room and you in that room, the first person you're going to look at in that picture is for yourself. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And so as a young black man growing up in Chicago, they, we don't learn, about ourselves. And so for somebody to have that self-knowledge and to have that self-love and to show it and express it to you, that means a lot for these young brothers and sisters, just to get to know who they are instead of what society depicts, to, depicts us as every day, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I, I do really think it's beneficial to not only have, you know, Man, it, I just I just really believe that having a black man in a classroom is important, especially in front of young black men, because we don't we, we need we just have to do better all around, you know.
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Jean, do you have any thoughts, insight that you want to share in terms of how um, your students have responded or, or you know, to you? Um, <laughs> so it's kind of weird. I have K through eight, mm-hmm. you know, so I have all of them all day long, every week, <laughs> every week, all day. So I have struggled with balancing my style. Like I have to constantly switch my style, my teaching style up. I could have two third grade classes, have to be drill sergeant in this class and Mr. Super Cool in this class. It just depends. And um, I have had to have find creative ways to build relationships with my students. And um, I've been researching. I study leadership. I've been doing all I can to try to figure out how to empower these students, how to deliver education uh, relative to physical education to them. So whether that's empowering them by letting them teach the class, that's what I was doing with the eighth grade class, with the eighth grade classes and the seventh grade classes, pretty much the middle school. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you just have to, I think that first year I got to know the students. They figured out, like Mikhail and Jamil were saying, you know, you're not going anywhere. So that helps. So I, I got a feel for most of the students. And um, I learned out, learned like how they work. And I found ways to get them on my team so that we can, you know, have a great gym experience. Um, so, yeah, and that's, that's been a challenge. But it's been a fun challenge because I feel like I've grown all the way through. I, grew at, I feel like I've grown as a person. So, yeah. How old are you? I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't ask, but since Mikkel shared how old he was, now I'm curious. <laughs> I'm 25. I'll be 26 uh, July, uh, in July. Okay. I'll be 26 on the 26th of July. Okay. And Jamil, so that means that you're what, 24 or soon to be 24? Soon to be 24. And happy birthday, Mikkel. That's right. Happy early birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> Appreciate that. Y'all. Appreciate that. So I want to know, because um, we're going to wrap up, because I know I've taken a lot of your time and you guys have been teaching all day. Um, who inspires you? So I'm going to start with you, Jamil. I have a large list of individuals that inspire me so i think for the for time's sake i have to chop it down unfortunately um i would definitely say all of my siblings for sure because i definitely i can take one of their strong attributes and try to apply it to my life so my siblings are very talented they're very intellectual um artistic um they provide different experiences um and they kind of bring me back down to earth when I seem to be out in the cosmos. So I would say my siblings, my mother, she's definitely always there for me, always telling me how proud she is of me. My dad, because that's my father, like a strong black man teaching me how to be a man and he wants me to be better than him. So I can't be anything but grateful for that. Um, Also, there are two black men from high school. uh, They're both names were Mr. Collins, they weren't related. But one of them was my biology teacher, and he inspired me to want to study biology. And the second one was my ag leadership and agricultural finance teacher. So he 
they were just there for me. So um, my finance teacher, he was, uh, I was with him for about three years actually. And he just gave us different experiences and he studied, Afri he had, uh, was an African-American studies minor and econ major at the University of Minnesota. So not only did I have that, that spark with biology, my sophomore year with Mr. L Collins, but Mr. William Collins, he, um, he really just believed in me. When I told him I was going to Morehouse, he said, I can see that. And I want to see you matriculate, graduate and do well. So that really, uh, your parents are always there for you, but it's different when it, there's somebody else too. So I don't know what it is about that, but um, just the fact that he believed in me, um, it was a really strong driving force. So I would say that as well. Um, and also I have a lot of friends and family that um, confirmed my mission and they uh, tell me how important it is that I, my brother and everybody else, how we approach and experience education. So there are a lot of people, I'm, I'm pretty open to different, um, to different people and how they just approach life and the way that they think. So those are my, those are my main inspirations. I would say Ms. Collins, Mr. Collins, mom, dad, and my siblings. Okay. All right. Older brother, Gene, who inspires you? Okay. So, man, people inspire me and cartoons inspire me. Cartoons? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my father, mother, um, even uh, like my grandmother, my siblings as well. I see how powerful my siblings are. I see where um, I lack and they excel, definitely. Um, I see that in my students too. Like, I'm very fascinated by that. Like, this kid can definitely be great. <laughs> I, this kid doesn't even know. But um, uh, he already said all the family and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I'm going to go and say, uh, I'm not Farrakhan. Got me on the journey. Mm -hmm. I just, he, I mean, come on, man. Like he pulled me up like that's that, but that's in combination to my father. My father was key with that. You know, my father is the one who provided me with books and things like that. And um, my journey pretty much started there. It was my father and Farrakhan. Like that's pretty much where that started. And, um, but as I've grown, I have mentors. I have all kinds of mentors. People think that your mentor has to come from somebody who you have to meet up with and things like that. No, you can go on YouTube. You can use your technology to have mentors. You should learn from everything, literally everything. You should study all things. You should study success. You should study successful people. I don't study one person because I don't, dis I don't agree, nor do I disagree with everybody, you know? So you have to, and uh, I just want to say this. Mm -hmm. Black men have to stop and black boys and black teenagers have to stop allowing anybody to teach them how to live. Everybody is not qualified to tell you how to live. You have to um, know who you are, right? And even though we all have a general sense of who we are, we are all still different. So we have to, you, know, you have to study yourself, you know, things like that. And um, you, should, you should pretty much go from there, like learn who you are. Um, Decide how you want to live. Don't just accept something. Always challenge things. You know, anytime somebody's trying to suggest something to you, challenge it. You know, how could this be wrong? Or how could this be beneficial? How could this be negative? How could this harm me? How could this help me? Those kinds of things. But um, is I don't I, I 
I feel like that question is a little um, limited because I feel like I learn from everything. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a bunch of things inspiring me. Dragon Ball Z inspires me. That's a cartoon. Like, literally, I get inspired from anything. I get inspired from this podcast. So, yeah. Okay. And, Mikhail, what about you? Yeah, um, man, I have to agree with Brother 100%. The Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan has been um, the most iconic figure in, in, in Black history, in my opinion, because of the 60 plus years that he's worked in our community, uh, the trials and tribulations that he's gone through, um, and to see what our people can become and the life that we live and still commit to the work of Almighty God a lot. I mean, that just in itself is just something that, it's just hard to not be inspired by that. Um, And through his work, you know, my parents have, you know, done so much work in the community. There, I don't even really know how to explain, you know, the the gratitude that I have for my parents, Um, just being the individuals that they are. Uh, My dad working as hard as he does for the nation. My mom working in the community every day, talking to different, to her different clients, you know, having to go through ups and downs um, with what she does. and you know my last you know it's like 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 my brother said it's it's tons of things that inspire me my grandparents family members just to see the path that they went through but the universal path that black people have gone through um wherever you are in the planet um if you're black it's a it's a trial you know it's a trial against your skin color everywhere you are and so for us to still be here and still be relevant and still to you know we we still trying to climb to the top of society even though every time we take a step they remove (laughs) you know they remove the step under us you know what i'm saying and so just black people in ourselves with our rich and unique history you know that's that's what inspires me I, I, i i just really love black people i really love the path that we've been on you know, it's a lot of heartache, but to show that we still here through all that heartache is, is just a beautiful, it's just a beautiful thing to see. So that's, that's my inspiration. Well, I just want to say, first of all, I'm trying not to shed a tear because as you all were talking, a couple of things um, crossed my mind. One, I know your parents and the way we all know each other really is through the teachings of the most honorable elijah muhammad because just in case you all didn't know my father um the late Munir muhammad was the founder of the coalition for the remembrance of the honorable elijah muhammad and your parents all came through the doors of crow and i know that if he were here today he always talked about um teaching black men like that was his goal. That was why he established Crow because he wanted a place for black men to come and learn about the messenger of Allah. And he would just revel in this moment just to hear you all talking, you know, because so often, you know, you have um, so many of us who wear the name of Muhammad, we have Muslim names, but sometimes may be afraid to even acknowledge you know, what we really know. 
And what I saw from you three men today was that you definitely have a foundation. You definitely don't seem to be afraid to acknowledge, um, you know, your upbringing, your roots. Um, so I am glad, I'm happy that our youth have examples like you all in front of them because that's exactly what they need. Um, our men, examples of um, men who strive for excellence and um, who can be an example to show them what they can accomplish. And like to your point, I think Mikhail earlier when you talked about having a passion, it's one thing to get into this profession just for the sake of you know saying that you you have a job, but you definitely have to be passionate. Um, you have to be committed. Um, and teaching is a noble profession, um, and it takes a special type of person to be able to teach our youth and to remain committed. So I thank you all. I I'm sure that you all are going to continue to do well. I'm looking forward to hearing about some of your entrepreneurial pursuits. Perhaps the three of you all can collaborate on something because you all grew up in the same area, you know, um, in this way, perhaps you all can formulate some type of um, relationship, but it's, I'm just honored to be able to have you all as my first male guest. So I think, so for any other men that I'm going to have on my show, they've got a certain level of uh, excellence that they've got to try and achieve <laughs> with being on here. But you guys did a great job. Um, and I wanted to, Jean, you mentioned about mentorship. And that was actually one of my questions that I was going to ask about. Um, and, I, and I appreciate the fact that, you know, you've shared that you can learn something from everyone. You're not just, you know, closed-minded in terms of where you can um, get your inspiration or information from. I don't want to assume, but do you all mentor, you know, any um, any young people, even outside of the classroom? We don't mentor. I don't. Well, I don't personally. I don't mentor anybody. Um, uh, on a one-on-one -on -one basis or anything like that. I actually was supposed to do that this summer. I was going to start a little program for these second graders. They were give, they're giving the, uh, they were giving their teachers a very hard time, but they seem to relate to me pretty well. So I was going to use this summer um, to create some, some, some little curriculum for them, probably a physical curriculum where we could just hang out and get to know one another. They could just know me, know how I think, because I feel like I have something to offer. Uh, intellectually and um, in terms in terms of my values and things like that, I feel like they could benefit from it as little eight year olds and seven year olds and things like that. Um, but other than that, um, we actually ran after school programs for Impact Beyond. We started another nonprofit. It's called Amprana Inc. And uh, we basically implement and uh, facilitate after school enrichment programs and summer programs as well. Mm -hmm. So I just created a website recently and at the bottom of uh, one the programs page of what we offer is mentorship. So I'm actually in the, in the mode of trying to do that, you know, cause I feel like it's needed. I believe that if you, if we want change, the way anybody gets any change, you have to institutionalize the change. And um, that's what 
these uh, Imprana serves to do. And um, our schools, McHale School, ECUEA, even this, this is a form of a little institution because it's, form, it's formed a way to do something, to deliver something, to educate people, mm-hmm. things like that. So, yeah. So not on a one-to-one basis, but um, like we, we tried, our mentorship comes in, in different forms. Like we tried the Saturday program, but COVID kind of stopped that. Mm-hmm. So we were in, in the mode of trying to do those things. So, Thank you. Any closing remarks from, go ahead, Mikhail. Uh Just to add on to the mentorship, um, I, I, I wouldn't call, you know, I guess I wouldn't call myself like a, like I'm not a part of a program or anything like that, but anytime, and I feel like this is the case for all of us on here, anytime we get an opportunity to be in front of young black men and, you know, to give them any gems, you know, or anything to help them while they're further their life, you know, in their young teenage years or even in their early 20s, you know, I feel like we always do that. So that's a form of mentorship, you know, just not being, you know, just not having a title. You know, my students, I talk to them. Um, I've always kept it 100 with them every time we was in the classroom, you know, about what life is about. Anytime I see a young black man trying to be successful, you know, I try to give as much guidance as I can, even the ones that really don't know what they want to do. You know, that's always important. We should, you know, I just, we, we, we should always have that ability to give some form of scholarship to our young men and women, you know, to just help them get them some gems, especially with us being at the age that we are now. Because I remember when I was like 15, I wasn't really trying to listen to nobody that was 30, 40 years old, 50 years old, even though they had some wise words. You know, you just like, you know, you just kind of like in that arrogance. Oh, I know this and I know that phase. But when you got somebody that's close in age, which, you know, it's, it's, it's just a lot more personable in that regard. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, Jamil, you got the final word. I would like to say uh, thank you for giving us this time to speak and share our ideas and experiences. Um. On the mentorship piece, I do have, regardless of COVID or during the school year, I do have a few students that still reach out and talk to me and they tell me what's going on on a consistent basis, which I'm really grateful for because they they feel as though they can trust me, which they can. Um, So in the future, we definitely are going to implement and be intentional about mentorship and uh, giving young black men a space to share them, their experiences um, so we can address different mental health issues and just teach them or at least guide them in the direction that they can um, develop as men and be of service to their community as well. Um, I think conversations like this, of course, are very important and they we, we need to continue this because even from just us three, um, I feel as though our perspectives and our experiences are a lot different. So we can just, we can see the diversity just with us three. So imagine how it would be if you had five, 10, 20 people, everyone sharing their experiences. We're not even known, 2% of the teaching population, black men. So it's important that we're known and that we continue to share our experiences and hopefully inspire other black men young black boys to become educators, especially in their communities, places of need. 
Well, I think the perfect place. Uh-oh. Mikhail, you got something you want to add? Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know he was doing, you know, final words. Oh, go ahead. Um, no, I just wanted to say, man, I'm I'm really appreciative of the opportunity. This is something that I will, I will truly cherish, you know, seeing other young black men doing their thing out here in the world, you know, and I would just like to say that um, for anybody that's listening, you know, it's a lot that we can do to uh, help ourselves become better, you know, and that's just kind of like just learning more about what we've done, not only just in this country, but for the entire globe. Uh, I'm just going to give a shout out to history because this is my, that is my major and that's what I teach. So I, I would just, you know, like to tell people that don't really have a fundamental knowledge of what it's like to be black here in this country and to also go through that educational system, just to read up on some history, you know, just go look at some articles in Google, you know, some historical facts about, you know, how things have been planned through systemic racism to kind of keep us down within the educational field. So that's, that, that's it. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity though. Thank you. Thank you. I have, I have to say thank you for allowing us to be on this show as well. I didn't say thank you. I didn't know it was closing remarks. Um, I'm gonna say something real quick. Okay. I think that like Mikhail was just talking about, you know, we have to study what we've done in the past and um, the way that we get any change is taking responsibility. So if you see an issue, take responsibility for it to fix it. That's what our little nonprofit is that we're starting. Um, we're trying to take responsibility for where we're at and that's what we have to do. So that's pretty much it. Excellent. Well, thank you all so very much for, like I said, taking time out of your day to um, share your experiences with me and with the audience. Hopefully we'll be able to do this again sometime really soon um, because you all definitely shed um, a lot of light um, on your experience in the education uh, field. And I just want you all to know I'm very proud um, of you all. So continue to do great things. And I pray that Allah continues to bless all three of you. So thank you very, very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining me this week on Light It Up. Make sure you visit my website at www.lightituppodcast.com or www.ajinamohammed.com. You can also find me on social media using the handle at Light It Up Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please be sure to hit the subscribe button so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, I'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or you can simply tell a friend about the show. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next time, light it up and shine bright like a diamond. <laughs>